You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 387, the anxiety of hugs and kisses during the holiday season. Should you have to pay for your son or daughter to be a football mascot? And the taming of the UK television station, Channel 4. It's all coming up after David Mead and Girl on the Roof. joyous XTC influence there from his second album Mine and Yours the heavily underrated uh, David Mead and Girl on the Roof 
Not to be uh, confused with my former professor, David Mead, at uh, UEA. <laughs> oh, no, this one's from Nashville, so it's very ah, unlikely they're the I same see. fellow, yes. Um, welcome to the podcast from the Parish Council. It's episode 387. Mm. I'm Terence Stackham, and if she's not away doing the Bird Box Challenge, this should be my co-host... Juliet Harris. Do you know, I have not seen Bird Box yet. Neither I have haven't I. seen it. No. Although a friend of mine has suggested that all the people that want to do the Bird Box Challenge should do it, and then we should have another referendum six months later. <laughs> Who knows what she's possibly saying about the Bird, bo- bird Box yes. Challenge. So anyway, hello, everyone. Now, we're just returning for a new season, I suppose, in 2019. Oh, yes, a... I, I didn't know we had seasons. Maybe we should have picked Seasons in the Sun by Terry Jacks. I didn't either, but it sounds terribly sort of um, American and exciting, doesn't it? Well, a it new says, season. It, it does. Well, it sounds very proper, doesn't it? Fortunately, yeah. now claim to have seasons where they go off for two weeks and they come back for a different season. So maybe we should do that as well. Yeah. So this is the uh, this is the winter season. <laughs> is it like London Fashion Week where you have to call the season the season before the season after it or whatever it is? So we're now previewing that this is our spring summer season. That would be terribly confusing to a simple soul like me, though. I could not. And, and I'd never be able to keep me, up. I've got yeah. to be. I've got to be honest. I think once again, I'm uh, I'm I'm punching uh, above my mm. weight. It will. Th- th- I think in a new occasional series that I'm calling Ask Jules, which by oh, the way I haven't, I haven't asked you about this at all, I've just well, announced no, so, this. So you've yet to yeah. ask Jules about yeah. Ask Jules, exactly. it's apt in a way really. Yes, it, it is indeed, yes, it's, it's true And also it true does, does show a, a, a rather sort of deathly lack of other options <laughs> on your part, if I am the person you were coming Absolutely. to for advice, I do wonder what's happened there, but anyway, carry on, I'll help well, if I, can. I do need your advice on how to cope with my least favourite aspect of any holiday or celebration time, and and that's the horror to me of holiday hugs and kisses. Um, oh yes. I don't, I don't. I, I can understand that being hard for you. It, it really is. I don't like anyone invading my space at the best of times. So Christmas and New Year, particular uh, nightmare for me, as I'm encouraged to attend these uh, social interaction and so on, and abhorrence for, uh, to me, uh, you know, at any time. Um, and I have a sense of foreboding at these events because, incredibly, sometimes on arrival, but almost inevitably on departure, people want to hug and kiss one. And mm. um, you're saying goodbye to someone you've only just met, and before you know it, they're lunging in to kiss you on both <laughs> cheeks. It's as if we're living in France or some other similarly uncouth <laughs> well, well, place. Well, godforsaken hellhole, Absolutely. yes, indeed. Now, this is, apologies to our listeners in France. This is where I need your advice. Am I normal in feeling discomposure and dread over all this social hugging and kissing uh, i don't know do you welcome you welcome this sort of behavior well i think that's putting it a bit strong to us i think i think the issue with this is mm. is that we don't we live in such i mean it, it's in a way i think a side effect of a really good thing about society so i very much like the fact being this sort of you know yeah. hippie groovy liberal type yeah. that i like the fact that our society our modern society is so diverse and that you know you can yeah, go to places enough, and meet yeah. a whole mix of people that's really cool the thing is, is that with a mix of people comes a mix of different behaviour codes, which means oh, yes. it's great that not everybody looks like everybody else in society. I know there are some <laughs> strands of political thinking at the moment which are very much opposed to that, but um, but that's how I feel anyway. And I do think largely, although we do feel like we're on the precipice of something horrendous here in Britain at the moment, all the time that you know that the, the earth hasn't actually opened up and swallowed us all, we do live in a certainly more diverse and tol- tolerant society. We have been very recently, I think. 
the downside to that is that if everyone's not the same there is no one there does not seem to be one common behavioral code anymore so there is not one set of rules because in the past you know you ate with that fork you did this mm. you did that i used to have a book that i when i back in my horrible past when i used to have to go to terrible balls as a trainee solicitor i had a book that basically told you how to behave at those things so <laughs> so you spoke to the person on your left during the start and the person oh on your God. right in the main course and the person opposite you doing dessert and uh, it didn't seem to know what to do if there was a fish course. But, um, <laughs> and, and, you know, you, you do you was lives and thoughts in a certain way and you put your napkin in certain, and all that kind of stuff. And there is no common behavioural code for society anymore. So it's not like you've got a, a code like that where you can say, right, so you kiss them once on the on the cheek mm. if you've met them before and you kiss them on the forehead if they're your sister and, and you shake their hand if they're someone else's brother. There's no kind of... There's no sort mm. of solid line, which means different people have wildly differing expectations of you and what they should do to you or what they require you to do to them and it is it's very hard i've i've you know gone to places before where i'm kissed repeatedly by um or i think as i I, you know you get that on this day facebook memories thing Hmm. i put something on the lines of i very much enjoyed our work although i was kissed by far more partners than i was expecting so i Mm. I mean they were all lovely in Mm. fairness but um but yeah there are some people who and also i think that often how much drink has been taken is a bit bit of a factor on how over-expressive people are um yeah i i don't know I'm, I'm better than i used to be i used to be very very unhuggy and unkitty whereas now i'm if, if it's with people i know i'm extremely tactile i'm a little bit more um reserved if it's someone i haven't met before so i do see your horror of someone that you've mm. never met trying to kiss you i mean my view on that would be uh, if they greeted me and we haven't met before then then I would rather not be kissed. But if we've met for the first time that evening, we've got on really well, I wouldn't mind being kissed on the cheeks at the end. I think it's the opening that I find so difficult. Mm. I don't mind the closing of the first meeting if it's gone well. I mean, obviously, but yeah, I, with you, it's... Mm. I think. But I think the issue is, is that different people have different... Not standards, although you know, look at some of the couples out there. But you know, <laughs> expectations. You know what I mean. There are some. There are some people. I think. I think the difficulty is that we we live in such a mishmash society now, which is I think it's a very good thing. But it does mean that there's that you know there's different cultural norms. This this thing we hear about so much now, cultural norms. There is no one common set of cultural norms anymore. It would seem. And whilst there are huge advantages to that, and we can learn a lot from each other, it doesn't mean we have to be by kissed by people we don't want to at parties. I think. Yeah, you see, the kissing on the cheeks thing, I I mean, I suppose I should be grateful I'm not living in Yorkshire because in an earlier life, I found the kissing (laughs) thing there to be even more intrusive. Back in the 90s, I was... Well, those those crazy, crazy 90s as well. Exactly, back in the 1990s, about um, 1997 to 2000, I was living with a woman from Yorkshire. And when Mm. when we went up to Yorkshire to visit her parents, her mother used to kiss me full on the lips. Oh, that's uh, oh no 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 no! I, I think I'm not. no. I still I think I'm still in shock and trauma from that experience. I'm in shock now, frankly. How are we going to do the rest of this podcast? Oh, so I, well, Jules, I, I did make it discreet inquiries at the time, and it seems it is a Yorkshire thing. Is uh, it? I, oh, I believe God. so. Now, 
you know, I I do think the government would be far better off, as you alluded to a minute ago, abandoning the whole Brexit experiment and putting all of their resources into rushing through emergency legislation that bans <laughs> all social hugging and especially kissing. Anyone attempting... I'm going to suggest that they just ban Yorkshire just for the bans well, in our postbag, frankly. Just for the, uh, come on, come at me on Twitter. <laughs> imagine, you know, having your, your then girlfriend or partner's mum plonking her lips on <laughs> oh, your lips and saying, lovely right. to see you, you know. Um, I just, I mean, anyone attempting that form of assault, I think they should be imprisoned, uh, possibly, well, possibly with hard labour. Or at least, at least put in some sort of stocks where they can't kiss anyone else. It's the only language these sort of these people understand. It's the, uh, only, it's, it's the only language they understand. Excellent. Well, I'm glad that we've once again avoided completely overreactionary uh, authoritarian moves on this podcast. You know, that's that's a relief. Coming next, more greed and avarice from the sporting world as we check out what a war takes shot. Yes, yeah. that's right. We're checking out football mascots. That's right after Opairs.
I don't want you to take this personally, Terence. I don't consider you to be a social disease. That was not <laughs> what Isn't that a scorcher of a tune? I love the way that the guitar just kind of unfurls at the at the beginning. It it, it starts off really sparkly and it just goes in that that lovely kind of slinky line. And there's the thumping of the drums in the background. I just think it's and the vocal is of course so cross as well, which is one of the things that that appeals to me. Also, post punk was such a, a febrile time for um, for women for groups of women Very that you know sort of the slits the eight pairs delta five lilliput all sort you know all, all kinds of people i can't remember now x-ray specs you know there were some cracking bands female fronted bands that came out of that uh came out of that sort of scene um the opres came from birmingham um they started in 1978 and they continued to 1983 and that's kind of sort of the real post-punk kind of a uh, kind of age really it was leslie woods that fronted them and she's done sort of various things before and since i think i um i love the fact that they did a music they performed in 1984 the concert film Ugh, a music war which i thought was quite a good quite a good title i'm a i'm a huge um I'm a huge fan of them. I think they're fantastic. And uh, they did go a bit synthesizing, which I wasn't so keen on. Um, apparently, Leslie Woods now works as a lawyer in London, which I think is rather nice. So so all of us either were lawyers or become lawyers in the end. I worked on that movie, uh, A Music War. Did I worked, you? Yeah, yeah. And they had a song and soundtrack. So I vaguely remember meeting them um, with Miles Copeland. As you say, it was oh, about 1980. Yeah. And I remember there was... The one thing I remember about it was, was controversy about that running order because... With it being Miles Copeland, I think was executive mm. producer. Lo and behold, we had lots of acts that, like, well, his brother was the drummer for the Police for, for a yeah. start, and there were lots of acts that were like shoehorned in. Um, yes, which, there uh, were also for... the people that hit the cutting room floor included Dead Kennedys, John Cooper Clark, Chelsea mm. Surf Punks, Invisible Sex, and Sploshness Abounds. Yes, Sploshness Abounds. <laughs> <laughs> well, possibly the daftest band name ever. Yes. Over the holiday period, I binge watched on Netflix and. An eight-part series, a documentary on the decline of Sunderland Football Club mm. during the 2017-28 season. I meant to watch this, actually. I hope it's still available. If not, I can maybe pick it up somewhere else, because it looked really good. It's it's a fascinating watch. It's, it's um, eight... Uh, episodes and they're all about 40 minutes long so it's a oh, bit I of a see. oh so it's like a proper epic then I oh it's, it's a... Like a film or something oh no it's a documentary it's a it's oh, like right. a, a fly on the wall uh, like thing like a series it sounds yeah, really yeah. good it's good it's called Sunburn Until I Die actually yeah it's both extremely watchable and thoroughly depressing because it's a familiar mm. tale not just restricted to football but many businesses and in particular course, yeah. public bodies and services and let's not forget that football clubs are of a size that they are well, big exactly. businesses slash and, and almost akin to public bodies in some places that's, that's right and the, the depressing part is the complete ineptitude of uh, the ceos and owners and senior management highly paid some may say excessively paid um kind of hapless people taking out enormous sums in salaries whilst the very business they're supposed to be managing is crumbling to dust. However, this week, uh, Jules, um, you've been looking into a similar scandal um, of exploitation by some of our top football clubs. Well, yes, indeed. Although there's, it's interesting this when you look at the clubs that are involved, and I have a, a, a perspective on this. Which I, what I'll do is I'll, I'll, I'll tell the story, mm. and then you can fulminate about it, and then I'll, <laughs> and then I might come back. All so right. 
basically, I, there was a story that was published on New Year's Day. Um, it was picked up by a chap called Matt Lloyd for the BBC um, in Wales, um, basically saying that Swansea City... So, so his take on the story was that Swansea City were whip, ripping people off because they were charging parents Premier League prices for their children to be mascots. Um, so so they were charging their kids... So the story is all they're charging. They're not in the... Pre, they, the story is meant to be, oh, they're not in the Premier League and they're still charging Premier League levels. The real story is that it costs up to £478 for a match day mascot package at the Championship Club. Only three teams in the Premier League charge more. Mm. Um, and Swansea City's defence, which I just think is marvellously missing the point, is that prices were reduced this year following relegation. <laughs> <laughs> That's not exactly, you know, well, it could have been worse. That's basically, yeah. well, it could have been worse school of defence. Yes. Um Many clubs tell the parents that the package is, quote-unquote, Terence, the ultimate gift your child will never forget, Good close quote. Um, but the interesting thing is that... Mm is that some clubs don't charge at all. And this is the no. weird thing. And when we were talking earlier about there being no code of social behaviour, there appears to be no... Uh, not legislation, but there's no... seems to be no guideline on this. Or if there is, they're not being followed. You would think that, they're, that if, if they're all clubs in the Premier League, you would think it might be sensible for the Premier League to have some sort of pricing structure which could then be imposed to all clubs. It's almost like the NHS postcode lottery. So you've got West Ham charging £700 for matches against the top six teams although I don't know how they're defining top six they're defining top six at the end of last season currently well how are they defining that uh, less other opponents and they also have one free mascot per game most packages include a full kit match tickets photographs and autographs as well as walking onto the pitch before kickoff which is the big thing but apparently a £185 ticket a pa- package at Bournemouth doesn't actually come with a ticket to the game Unbelievable. So, so there are various, um, there are various things. Swansea City claim that they've reduced their prices following relegation from four fifty plus VAT to three nine nine plus VAT for weekend and three four nine for weekday matches. Um, Cardiff City offered the chance to children aged between four and ten to, and this is, and there are some cracking quotes mm. in this piece to turn dream into reality. Quotes, close quotes, uh, for two hundred fifty five pounds have sold out for many of their popular home fixtures. Mm. Um, they said. The, the the people whose son, who's eight year old, was uh, the, the mascot for Cardiff against Manchester City said they were lucky to get such a big game, but I'm not sure we'd be happy paying the same amount for games against other teams. He got a kit signed photos and met Neil Warnock. Well, to be honest, and oh, you, you'd God. have to, you know, you'd I need to be pay paying for that. Yeah. I was going to say you need to pay me, frankly, but mm. anyway, and had it and had a great time. But the seats were poor and it was a bit rushed meeting the players. Um, it's. I mean, I, I suspect you have pretty strong views on this. I, I will do. let you have your strong views. So I can tell you the top five most expensive mascot packages, and mm. then you can come back at me. Mm. Everton, £718. <sighs> West Ham United, £700, but less if it's a non-top six club. Uh, Leicester City, £600. Tottenham Hotspur, £405. Wolves, £395. Here's the thing. You mentioned they're one of the highest charging clubs from those in the Premier League uh, that do charge for mascots. Thank God my own club, Chelsea, don't. But however, one of the highest charging clubs there you mentioned, West Ham United, at £700 a child. Now, I think this needs to be considered in the same moment of revelation that Karen Brady, um, TV's Karen Brady, Mm. the, the vice chairman of West Ham, not only has an annual salary taken out of the club of £898,000 a year, 
year. As well as sitting in the House of Lords, can I just point out. But also received last year consultancy fees at West Ham of £438,000. So Miss Brady takes out from West Ham £1,336,000 in a year. From Whilst drawing an income from elsewhere Absolutely. as well. Absolutely. So £1,336,000 from West Ham, yet they charge their own supporters £700 for the dubious privilege of walking out with the team at the former Olympic Stadium. As you mentioned, I know it related to Swansea, but essentially it's have a few photos and then get rushed off the pitch again. Now, I've seen an argument that some of these clubs offer a ballot place, I think you mentioned it there, for one or two of the mascots for free. free. But that seems entirely spurious to me. A couple of thousand to one odds in a ballot for poor children while rich parents can simply buy the gift of being a mascot for their children. I agree and I do agree that I do think it's pretty disgusting. Mm. There's one slight counter to this. Right. Now now I'm not sure how much water it will hold and indeed you may well pour, pour cold water mm. on me but um, <laughs> there are quite a few clubs that do not charge mm. for mascots. It does mean that you have to take your chances in a ballot system, but as you so rightly say, everyone takes their chance yeah. in the ballot system. And these are Arsenal, Chelsea, Huddersfield, Liverpool, Man City, Man United, Newcastle and Southampton. Now, interesting there that the richer clubs, um, so Arsenal, Chelsea, Liverpool, Man City, Man United, don't charge anything at all. Now, there might be an argument, and I think this is pretty spurious, but there might be an argument that rich clubs, that the richest clubs don't charge because that's what they can afford, whereas mm. clubs that are less affluent, they might be justified in charging more. It's a bit like that thing about the Ritz is free to everybody who can afford it. Maybe mm. maybe that that is an argument. But having said that, for me, that argument, which might have flown slightly at one time, is now wiped out by the age of telly money. Well, I mean, if Karen Brady took slightly less of her one million three hundred and thirty six thousand, yes, yes, say yes. she left um ten thousand in the pot you know took three hundred and twenty six thousand pounds, then that ten thousand pounds could quite easily pay for the kits of these uh, young yes, true, children. Yes, true. It, it's a peculiar business anyway, George, because young children wearing small versions of the team colours, walking out hand in hand with often very it's, uninterested looking footballers. It's a bit incongruous, isn't it, really? It, it's a bit strange. Although, it's a bit spooky those, in the current although, world, yes. Although occasionally we do have um we do have a nice story, like Jermaine Defoe and that black mm, little boy Bradley that was mm. that was that was poorly and then sadly passed on. But that was a very beautiful thing and I think he might have he might have met him through being a mascot, I think. So actually, you know, sometimes there are and he was a adorable over that Jermaine was it Jermaine Defoe it was, was it was indeed was Jermaine, Jermaine Defoe, Defoe with was, Bradley it was, yeah it was wonderful over that it was so lovely and but yeah like you say most of the time it, it is a very like you well, but in a way I would slightly blame the players really because you it always makes me judge players slightly when they mm. go along the line and you see the players with their mascots it is always um it's always very telling to me. I always slightly judge the players that are very kind to their mascots yes, and the too. players that take mm. no interest. Although some might argue, is it a really... In, in the age where football seems to ha- require more athleticism than ever because the stakes are so high, is it really fair to impose these on players who, if they're being treated like athletes, want to try and get in the zone? I don't know. There, there is that. Yeah, I, I, I do take that part. I mean, I, 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 would, I would say drop the whole thing, really. Something similar must continue. Just have a, a ballot with no special interest 
opportunity for rich people just to ballot where random children get their photos taken with some players maybe but given a choice I'd just say drop the whole thing I mean apart from the weirdness of players athletes attempting to as you say get ready to go and perform at the highest possible level in but front also, of 80,000 people yeah. and a worldwide TV audience these days but also having to concentrate on holding hands with a you know a five year old kid yeah, yeah. Um, you know and, and these these days with the TV money these premiership clubs especially are accruing hundreds of millions of pounds each year so screwing parents for 700 quid it's you know it's just not right it's it's disgraceful yeah no I agree it's just over 36 years since Channel 4, the television station, was launched here in the UK. It's bizarre to think that it's 18 months. It's about a year and a half older than me. No. So odd. Makes me feel very old. It was it, Sorry about that, man. <laughs> innovative, experimental, often exciting. Can it still make that claim in 2019? That's next after... Well, see if you can spot mm. who this is without shazamming, um, covering a Neil Young song. She has got quite a distinctive voice, but even so, maximum points if you spotted that was Cher 
from what was more or less a covers album released in 1975. It's absolutely magnificent and it features Cher's versions of unlikely songs from Jackson Brown, um, Eric Clapton, Janice and Jimmy Cliff and that track covering Neil Young and Buffalo Springfield of all people produced by Jimmy Webb. Um, the album is called Stars and that was Cher and Mr Soul. I rather like that. I'd not heard that before. I thought it was rather a nice version. Mm. It's excellent and so unlikely, such an unlikely combination. Um, but, uh, from, from very different bits of the 60s, Neil Young and Cher. <laughs> Absolutely, very much. Um, you think sort of twin ends of the spectrum. Way before the age of cable or satellite TV, I remember mm. the excitement of the launch of the fourth TV channel here in the UK, Channel mm. 4. It's very nature. It had a it had a very alternative outlook, despite having some safe programming with the likes of uh, the game show Countdown at its core. Um, I should declare a mild interest. I wrote for some of the homegrown comedy shows on Channel Four at launch, including Saturday, yeah, Saturday Live and Friday Night Live. Um, but there were also some very innovative shows like The Tube and Comic Strip Presents. On its first day, it also ran the very first episode of its groundbreaking, sometimes uh, controversial soap opera, Brookside. Hey, you're going to say Brookie, aren't you? Uh, yeah, Brookie. All right, soft lad. Um, but Jules... Hey, Simbad, I you in time for no one? <laughs> one. One of your most profound memories of uh, Channel 4 is a show that was originally broadcast in the year 2000. Yeah, and actually this is interesting. That, um, mm. that One thing that Channel 4 has always been really good at, I think, is LGBT stuff. And actually well, this mm. is why the, the latter-day Channel 4 stuff is quite disappointing. Mm. Because in the early 80s, it was doing stuff that was really sort of quite out there, really. And, I, and when, uh, this was the, this whole thing was prompted by an off-air discussion between Terence and I. Mm. Um, I think I told, I told us all a few weeks ago that I went to see a band called Big Joni in early mm. December in Brighton. And I was trying to describe to Terence sort of what they were like. And they they're all female, all, all black, sort of uh, feminist punk bands. And that, when I was trying to think of a way to describe in that cliched way that those of us that write and talk about music always do, you have to kind of say, oh, they're like this, cross with this. <laughs> I thought they were like the slits, again, similar mm. bands to the, the au pairs. Mm. But they had a, I said they were almost like the slits through early Channel 4 because I associated early Channel 4 with putting, sort of, with being one of the mm. only channels that really gave a voice to sort of alternative subcultures and alter, you know, different races, different different voices. I, that's what I really remembered. I remember Desmond's being a thing for absolutely ages. And although you know, might some might say it was a bit daft, it, you know, to have a prime time sitcom that had an all black cast was pretty, pretty, you know, pretty unusual for the time. Frankly, it was very impressive. And without doing it for a, for a a non-public service broadcast and I think there's always been elements of Channel 4 which have had some kind of public money I think but it's not the public service broadcaster like the BBC so one could argue they weren't technically obliged to do that and yet they did mm. so going back to the LGBT thing and it's groundbreaking this in a way the show which was the height of Channel 4's innovation and then started to kill it from the inside was Big Brother mm. which admittedly was bought it was a bought format it was bought from Holland the, the Dutch TV company Endemol made it and it was brought in and it was very much an experiment you know it was buying a buying a tv you know particularly in those days buying a tv f format from another country that wasn't america you know mm. ooh, that's a pretty random thing to do isn't it and and it was very interesting to see the thing that i really liked about it was that it had a really diverse mix of people on it and i remember the last four were a black man 
a mixed race woman. I think she was mixed race rather than black, but it's certainly you know black and ethnic minority man, black and ethnic minority woman, um, a white heterosexual man, and a white homosexual woman. And uh, I was it was 2000, so I turned 16 in September 2000. So I was 15, 16, coming to terms with my own sexuality at that point, and. Anna from Big Brother, the uh, brilliantly the Irish um, the Irish skateboarding graphic designer, former nun who had to stop being a nun when she realised she was a lesbian. Um, you know, came second. Admittedly, rather disappointingly, she she couldn't beat the uh, the scouse <laughs> the yeah. scouse the bricky the Craig, who's now was a staple of DIY programs on BBC <laughs> One for a while. I think afterwards, fair play to him. But um, no, so so and I remember Sam Brady, who was the rather sharp tongued TV critic for tele ITV Teletext. I knew how to live in the late, the late. We didn't have, we didn't have the internet. You know, we had to make our own fun. Um, I remember him saying, "I bet chat right on Channel Four were disappointed that the legend <laughs> skateboarding nun didn't beat the builder from Liverpool." Yes, perhaps, but you know, it was really important to see somebody like that on TV. To see someone, I mean, I'm not Irish. I'm dreadful at skateboarding. I've never been a nun. I can't draw. But, but I, you know, to see someone that was otherwise like me on the TV. You know, to see a gay woman. Who was charming and really popular, and she, you know, I know she didn't win, but she came a very strong second. Who was very well liked and likable, and then did an interview with Fat Boy Slim, who had her, had her around his house in the enemy, and that was that made me think. Do you know what? Maybe being a bit weird isn't that bad. Maybe there is a way of this old gay thing being viable. So actually, I'm sorry to see Channel Four in the mess that it is now. I'm sorry that that it kind of got distracted by the success of Big Brother and it became more and more sensationalist to chase those. I mean, the, the most shocking thing that happened in the first series of Big Brother was someone got a bit excitable in a pair of shorts and uh, someone else, the infamous Nasty Nick, lied mm. about having been in the Territorial Army and then wrote some names on a piece of paper and got thrown out. I mean, that was all the interest there was in the first season, really. And then after that, it became worse and worse and people fought and, you know, did all kinds of terrible things. But... I, you know, I like to remember Channel Four as being the channel that really did have some very interesting. There, public access television, Transworld Sports. I know many sports fans of my age mm. who who really loved Transworld Sports. Although, as someone that I met in the summer pointed out, sixty percent of it seemed to be given over to korfball. But if you could get past that, then it had some amazing <laughs> Gazetta Football Italia. I mean, Channel Four, in a way, were ahead of the curve of people like BT Sport, and that they realised mm. that if you buy any kind of football that no one else is particularly interested in and broadcast it because there's no more football on terrestrial TV, then people will watch it. I know people that still have Italian football teams they support as a result of that. Mm, very true. And I think in many ways, um, the decline of Channel 4, if we call it that, is linked to the equal decline of the Big Brother franchise because, well, that very first series was not expected to be a huge, the huge no, success it was. No, it was a it, real sleeper hit, wasn't it, it? It really was. There was a sense of naivety from the so-called um, housemates and it really did make uh, compelling viewing as a social experiment. However, over the years, it did become very tired and predictable and perhaps a couple of words that could also be used to describe Channel 4. And I think if anyone thinks that's harsh, it's interesting to note that the most-watched programmes of all time on Channel 4 mostly date back to the 1980s. It's interesting, uh, isn't it? Uh, it was a mini-series called A Woman of Substance, Big Brother, and then a couple of movies, Four Weddings um, and um, Gregory's Golden. The only show to have made an impact on the ratings in about the last 30 years is 
the Great British Bake Off, which was imported from the BBC, and you know they were inevitably. Great. That was very. Or, or shows they revived, like Fifteen to One, for example, yes, which, is, right. which has come back. What was also interesting is that it was very big on schools programming. Mm. Not so much now, sadly, but it used to be. Though them and BBC Two used to have schools programs, or in you know we always used to watch stuff that was on Channel Four, and we were you know with the TV on wheels would be rolled in, and we would watch something on Channel <laughs> yeah. Four in the morning. I mean, they you know they did they did a, a the big breakfast. They had their own breakfast show that was very successful and launched several big name careers, including Zoe Ball and Chris Evans mm. and Denise Van Outen and. Was Davina McCall a big breakfast person? I can't remember. She's, Johnny Vaughan She did Big was. Brother. Johnny Vaughan did uh, the big breakfast, mm. but um, uh, he sits two seats away from me at Chelsea. Uh, and, sort of, oh, but does he? he and, uh, <laughs> uh, lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. Also, um, they, one thing that, that I would also point out about them is that they, um, that Film 4... Was and so mm. film four has been you know quite a quite a, a, a bit like BBC Films that produces its own films, not just the channel, but the sort of the film production house. That film four have, have produced some really you know have had have had some really sort of high high quality films that they've produced. I mean, I I you know there are just so many that have come out of that stable. I you know I think I think it's really important. But I think it's interesting that all the things we're lauding it for and I just want to join in with oh, your in the past, the, it's yeah. exactly the Italian football with James Richardson was just marvelous. Uh, it was a Saturday morning, wasn't it? I think it was on. Mm. Um I was channel for well, but perhaps in our new world of um let's say box sets, Netflix, Amazon Prime, YouTube, Hulu, all of the uh, old traditional channels are on borrowed time anyway. Yeah. I think I think that's probably fair, really. I think it's, um, you know, I, I, it's it's tricky, isn't it? That because there is part of the reason they're on bond borrowed time is that these sort of new channels have got money to burn. Yes, I don't, you know, being privately equity funded. I mean, to the point where Love Film, I know it doesn't make its own its own, um, you know, it doesn't make its own films, but Love Film, uh, the bloke behind it is now rumored to be setting up his own political party with funds made from Love Film. You know, subscription mm. things are 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 big business now, and you know, I do feel sorry. Um, you know, I do have I do have sympathy for for some of the terrestrial channels, particularly the BBC, which is publicly funded. How are they meant to compete when someone drops a load of money? It's it's you know it's 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 worrying times for them really. And and then of course, yes, at the moment Netflix are making you know and Amazon are making some quite innovative things. I would point out that one of Netflix's big bankers is Black Mirror, which started off on Channel Four. Oh yes, yes it did. Now, Jules. When you're not sticking up posters of Big Brother's Anna Nolan yeah, on your bedroom wall, yes. <laughs> uh, what what will you be doing in the forthcoming days? Well, I'm over I'm over her now, given that oh, I'm I no see. longer fifteen. I do, yeah, it's oh, a time has passed. Sorry, Anna, but um, but no, I, usually this would be the bit where I would tell you excitedly about this week's mm, Indie Wonderland. It but as a be. general piece of me news, yeah. um, Barco Radio is no more. So unfortunately, Indie Wonderland is without a home at the moment. I mean, I am, you know, like the littlest hobo. Maybe tomorrow <laughs> I want to settle down, but in this moment, we are just going to keep moving on. I've got my <laughs> knotted handkerchief on a stick, and uh, yeah, we're searching for a new home at the moment. So actually, if anyone listening has any leads, then do do mm. get in touch with me on twitter at superjules 84 we will pop up somewhere i'm sure but in the meantime i'm just excited about going to see the favorites at the cinema on saturday night oh gosh yes yes so we see what you think of it we may talk about that next week yes, we'll see. Quite, quite well do. yes let's see thanks to you for listening 
Yeah, so much thanks to you. So much, so very thanks. And thanks to executive producers Rona and Hilly. Thank you. And uh, now a, a, a DJ from Leeds. I really like this track. I, I hadn't heard it before. Um, I previewed it earlier today. Really like it. So yes, it's a, a, a DJ from Leeds. Yes, indeed. I am. Um, I've, I've been a fan of Nightwares on Wax for quite some time. Um, someone suggested when back when I was doing Indie Wonderland on ARFM. We did an A to Z of indie, alt rock, and miscellaneous across a year, where I would do an hour of artists beginning with one letter, so A during the first week, and then the second week, for most letters, I would suggest that people threw in their own suggestions beginning with that letter. Who have I missed out? And I had nightmares on wax suggested to me as part of the second end week, and I wasn't really familiar with them. And someone I think suggested flip your lid, and I really liked it. Um, this came out, I think, fairly recently. It was I found it on an iTunes playlist, and uh, I just think it's great. It's got such a lovely bounce to it that I'm just I'm so fond of it. I think it's brilliant, and I've got really into it, sort of listening to it um, so much so that it just went off on my phone then. So apologies if you can hear that. But <laughs> featuring Andrew Ashong and Sadie Walker, um, this is Nightmares on Wax and Look Up.
You have been listening to a DACA Media Production.